You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld, and uh, today I'm speaking with the great Julia Hines. Julia, thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Julia spent, uh, was it four years? Performing mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Hall of Fame Magnet Team yeah. Rick, yeah, and uh, uh, recently has joined Junior Varsity in the last six months or so, mm-hmm. a little more than six. Yeah, months? Yeah, a couple months. Yeah, uh, uh, you also play with Beth Newell in Sad Kids yeah. and with the Stank as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm curious how it the transition because Brick was your first team out of level six right right and then you spent four years on the team founding member and you were there to the very end of it what's the transition like having gone from four years on one team with people to now joining a a team that's new for you and a team that's already established you know it's it's reputation and it's vibe how how is that for you yeah it's a good question Lewis thank you um I because I spend a lot of time thinking about this and talking about it with other people it was really amazing to be on brick and it was just like you know I started that team when I was kind of younger like I was in my mid-20s um but and we were so close as a team and you know some of those people became some of my closest friends at the magnet and just in life in general and were in my wedding and you know I see them all the time so then to kind of like abruptly not see them anymore and then join another team that was so well established was kind of um it was like a little bit scary I think so um everybody on junior varsity has been super nice I what I really like about them is it is a little bit of an older team I mean I'm older now too so it feels like we're all in kind of a different place than Brick was maybe um because we were such a younger team but it's been a little bit interesting to see you know, everybody has these kind of established ways of dealing with each other and interacting and emailing and things like that, which I wouldn't have anticipated. Mm. But I feel like, for example, Brick always just sends so many emails and, or we used to send so many emails and JV like really doesn't send very many emails at all. And it was, it was, it's funny. Like the vibe is so, I send an email, like I try to be really like funny, whatever. And everybody's just like, I can't do that date. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to just like uh, adjust your own behavior a little bit, but also still keep, um, you know, I, I still want to keep my my fun email attitude. Um, you can't lose yourself. Right. I can't lose myself in, you know, uh, Kevin Craig's crankiness, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just have to still maintain myself. He's a classic crank, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but everybody's been super, super nice on JV. So I feel very welcome and, um, I'm, I feel like I'm adjusting more. We just rehearsed yesterday and that was really kind of fun cause I, um, I'm starting to feel like more part of the team and, yeah. and not, and, and certainly everything has been kind of my own feelings of like, all right, well, they've been doing this for seven years and I'm just kind of jumping in and, you know, I don't know if my point of view necessarily always like matches and, they have such amazing tag runs Mm -hmm. and I just always am like, okay, I want to get in there, but oh, they're so fast. And I'll find myself like watching, watching everybody. Yeah. So anyway, that was a really long roundabout answer. No, it was pretty, (laughs) pretty direct and to the point. I thought that was a good answer. Cool. It's an interesting thing with an established team like that because like 
there's this kind of balance to preserving the identity that a group has kind of won for itself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, anytime you make a cast change, you know, it, it does it, change the dynamic. It completely. totally does. It, you're inviting growth and right. you're inviting the development of, of a new sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, did that, was that something that like, did that screw with your sense of play for a little while? I think so. I mean, I really, I sat in with JV a couple times before joining the team. So every time I would play with them, I would just kind of try to talk myself into not holding back and not feeling like, oh, um, this isn't my team. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's what happens when you sit in is you you sort of don't make moves that you have the instinct to make. Yeah. And, you know, you feel like you're a guest or whatever. So I think I've definitely felt a little bit less aggressive. And also on Brick, I, at least for a period of time, I felt like I was someone who was really um, a big editor on the team. Whereas I don't necessarily feel like that with JV as much because it's not really needed in Mm. the same way as it was on Brick. Like depending on, you know, who was on Brick or who was there at a given show or whatever. So that's kind of changed my feeling a little bit because I used to be just like waiting to be like, all right, this is done. And now I'm like, all right, probably someone else has it. And I'm going to, I don't know, think about, got to give them that tag run. So yeah, it has changed my sense of play a little bit. And also they're just like a totally different um, group of people. And like the way that they play, you know, brings out different sides in me. And I, I mean this is also just going into like growing older as an improviser too. Like I think I'm trying to push myself and not get stuck doing the same sorts of characters all the time too. So this is kind of like happening at the same time. I took a couple months off from really doing much improv and then jumping back into it. So I've been kind of like, all right, try not to do as many teenage boys like, I know I love playing that character, but let's like move away from it and try to, I don't know, do something um, that sort of pushes me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. How do you, how do you think that you've changed since, since you started with Brick to now? Like how's your sensibility on improv uh, developed? Well, so I had like a moment that I feel like was a really big turning point for me. And I've um, since just tried to use that to kind of think, I mean, it's, and then that was when Peter McNerney, he gave like personal notes at one point when I sort of had been playing with Brick for maybe a year. Mm. And one of the note was very like, you know, you tend to play like ironically removed from the scene. And if you just stop doing that, you're going to be able to sort of be, you know, I don't know, just be a much better player. Mm. So that really, like, I was like, I do do that. You know, just kind of always not really experiencing the moment and being kind of like making jokes about the moment. Mm. So I've really tried to develop that more and like let go of that. And it comes with like confidence and growing older. And, and, you know, that's a definite defense mechanism of just being like, whatever, I don't really care about this, but actually investing in what you're doing and really trying to play true characters who are really honest and grounded. So, and then having you as a coach and having Peter as a coach. And, um, when I was on brick, I feel like that has helped me to sort of continue to work on that skill. So it's, I want to continue to do that. And sometimes with JV, it can get a little hard because it's so fast Mm -hmm. that just even rehearsing yesterday, thinking about like 
remembering to make it feel more honest and real and not just like do the joke. Yeah. It, especially with a team like JV, because mm-hmm. I've sat in with them a couple of times. I just, I did a, um, Toronto festival with them okay. a couple of months ago and yeah. it ended up just being Megan and Jamie and me right. for the first show. And then I had, you know, um, and I was, you know, terrified, uh, because it's like the total opposite of, of how yeah. I play. And, and like, because they move super, super fast Mm -hmm. and they kind of challenge each other to just like cut the bullshit and, and get to the funny thing and, and play the shit out of the funny thing. Right. And it's always surprising how far they're able to run with it and how many new games they're able to, to to, come up with, to come up with while exploring the original game. Mm -hmm. So like striking that balance between not being kind of coolly ironic about stuff, Mm -hmm. having enough like emotional investment that you're able to kind of dig your heels into it, but not having, not being so grounded that like when the windstorm of, of a JV tag run kicks Mm -hmm. up, you're, you're able to be moved by it. Yeah. That's always like a really interesting thing that I find. I just can't think about too much. Mm -hmm. The more I think about it, the more I, I, like go to like acting tendencies and, mm-hmm. and then I just like shit all over the fun of a show. Right. I, so, so how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you keep yourself kind of, uh, uh, firm, but light? Interesting. Um, I mean, I think maybe the shows that we've been doing, I've maybe gone a little bit too light in some ways because I'm trying to adjust. Yeah. Um, and then, just rehearsing yesterday was kind of helpful to think more about like, like Rick was our coach and he kind of was getting us to, to do more environment work. And I felt like that was kind of helpful to reinvest in like making it more Mm sceney. Um, but let me think. So I, I think I'm just trying to not make it too, too light and, and think about more, I don't know, maybe just not thinking as much. Yeah. What what was it like for you to take a couple of months off? I because as you were talking, it occurred to me that I've never taken a break yeah. since I started improvising. I've just been just doing it forever. Yeah. Well, what's it like to have a sabbatical? Well, I mean, it's, I wasn't completely off. Like I did a few shows here and there. I probably did. We might just kiss and and maybe like a rundown or two. But just to ha- take off from like having a weekly show, mm-hmm. um, it was nice. I mean, I. There was a part of me that liked not going to the magnet so much. Mm-hmm. Like I love the magnet, but it just can feel like it it can feel a little bit um tiring when you're just if I'm I'm a full-time school teacher, so just like leaving school and then like taking the train up to Manhattan and then getting home kind of late, it was really draining sometimes. So it felt really nice to kind of be away from the theater a little bit and kind of regroup and it helped me get out of um, the a little bit of the drama that happens at the theater. Not like not really in a necessarily a negative way. It's a lot of like stuff that I create myself. But mm-hmm. feeling like, oh, I want to be in that show. Why hasn't anyone asked me to do this thing and whatever that we all kind of maybe. I mean, maybe we don't all, but I do, and I know a lot of other people do. Yeah, have that feeling. So just being kind of removed from it for a bit was. Um, helpful and I was able to come back and kind of not care about that kind of stuff as much. It was more, it became more about like, oh, I kind of really miss performing and I really miss like having a show that I feel strongly about and I care about. Um, And it was good to kind of take some time to sort of 
recover after just break ending. Like I just, it was sad, mm-hmm. you know, I was really, really sad. I think it was definitely the right move and it had to happen, but it was so difficult to make that decision with everyone and just kind of walk away from this thing that we'd been doing for so long and, you know, feeling like we weren't going to see each other as frequently. So it was nice to kind of take some time and, and regroup and, you know, life after yeah. being on team together that long. Yeah. It's a weird place you know magnet and like improv improv theaters in mm-hmm. general because like you know it's a place to 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 work out and keep yourself strong and develop your skills and it's a place to to like pick up on the vibe of other really funny people and have a great time but you mm-hmm. end up like investing so much of yourself and so many different parts of yourself and and it starts to become hard to separate your social life from Mm -hmm. your career ambitions, from your artistic life, from, you know what I mean? Like they all get bundled together and, and it, it's so easy to get like really enmeshed in stuff that I think like pulls you away from having a sense of like your focus or purpose. Right. Because you can totally like that thing of like, how come I'm not in that show or how come, how come, how come this person never, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. you can end up kind of forgetting about what you are doing and, right. and, and like why you're doing past it. it. And, and it's just like, it's kind of the opposite of what makes doing this stuff really fun to begin right. with. Exactly. Um, like I've definitely experienced that and like, I've been working here forever. Mm-hmm. So it's like this interesting thing of like, Oh, your work life and your social life and your, and your, and your, comedy life and your career life and all that mm-hmm. shit is all just like one life. Right. And so you don't get a break from it. If there's trouble in one of those parts of your life, it bleeds mm-hmm. into every other part of your life. Right. I can only imagine that if you then have to go home to get up at six o'clock in the morning to go work <laughs> full time, there's just kind of like very little respite from it. Right. Like there isn't that same like joy of stepping into this wonderful world that you get to be in. It's just more of like... It can feel like a, like a drag. I mean, yeah. just... Yeah, feeling really tiring, and yeah. and just um, also being married to someone who's in the community, like going to see his shows and things like that. Like, I just felt like I was here all the time, and it would sort of stop being as fun. Yeah. So taking some time off, and then kind of coming back in more. Not to say that that wasn't on my terms, but this is like really on my terms. It was like a decision that was made as an adult yeah. versus a decision I made when I was like twenty six or whatever. Yeah, like I felt more like this fit more like being on JV fit more with where I am right now in my life versus doing brick and, um, just being at the theater constantly. What got you into it to get started? So let's flash back to, okay. to flashback 26. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I had started, I moved to New York because, um, I went to college at Penn state and was into theater and comedy there. And then I went to grad school at Ohio state and really didn't like it. I mean, I liked grad school, but I didn't like Columbus, Ohio really too much. Sorry, anyone who's listening. Um, but all of my friends from school had moved here and were doing different comedy stuff here. And some of them were taking class at UCB and, and various other places. And I wanted to get into it, but I was a little bit intimidated um, and didn't really know where to start. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine, Lindsay Dinsmore, had taken um, Magnet Level 1 with Tara Copeland mm-hmm. And she really liked it and recommended it. So I kind of tried it out and took the class with her and was really, 
really psyched about it right away and then you know stuck with it and kind of just kept taking class it did take me a little bit of time though to really become a member of the community I felt I think I was a little bit um I don't know I never went to shows which was a a big mistake to Mm. you know when you're when you're first starting out to like not really go to shows so I didn't really make connections with people in the community too much I would just go to class and then go home Mm. Um, and then I took level four uh, with Alex Marino and met like Rick Andrews and Amy Rowe and all these people who kind of eventually ended up being on a team with me. And then I really like got into it and we started like going to shows together and then I was kind of just hooked. Yeah. What stopped you from going to shows? Just like not having I was people nervous. To go yeah. yeah. I, I felt like, again, I was like really intimidated by, um, you know, like something that people feel like just not feeling like you're really a comedian or like mm-hmm. you're really a writer or you're really an improviser or whatever. I, I felt like a little bit like an imposter yeah. and, you know, had always kind of been a little bit nervous to identify as someone who was really into comedy and wanted to do comedy. So, or, and do improv along with that. So, um, but eventually, uh, you know, as I went through the levels, it started to like become clearer, like, okay. It's not like everyone is just killing it and I don't know what's going on. Like I'm keeping up with this class and, you know, I felt like I, my confidence was building and I took level three with James Eason and then took level four with him too, like a different level four. And I felt like having the same teacher twice was kind of helpful because he knew me and I don't know, I just felt more comfortable with the the crew. And then we had a a really small class Mm -hmm. for that one. So we kind of bonded because there was only like eight people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of merit in those small classes. Yeah. That? It's kind of nice because you, you are really sort of forced to talk. If you're not talking to anybody, you, it's very obvious. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think just having a good, I don't I'm not really answering your questions right now, but just uh, like go like making connections with your big sibling or whatever when you're in the lower levels mm-hmm. is really great and, and just em- embracing the newness of being at the magnet and going to to shows and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like regret that a little bit, not taking advantage of that more. Yeah. It's interesting. Like that, like lack of confidence. I wouldn't peg you for that. First of all, oh, that would, thanks. like that runs really counter to like the impression that I have of you, Yeah, which has always just been like, you know what you're doing. You okay. know how to do it. Uh, uh, you do it really well. Well, thank you. Um, but like that feeling of being an imposter or like mm-hmm. you can't really call yourself a comedian or you can't really call yourself an actor or a writer. Um, uh, like I feel that way mm-hmm. now. I think a lot of people do. I think most people yeah. do. I, I, because like it's interesting. I, I wonder like what you're waiting for for it to be kind of like official. Right. Maybe it's just the kind of thing that it never really feels official. I, cause right. I guess there's some people who kind of like define themselves. There's like the really ambitious type of person who has known since they were 11 years old, mm-hmm. I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. I'm a comedian. That's my career goal. And mm-hmm. so they just kind of always have it in their mind. And then there's lots of other people who I think are like embarrassed to like declare what they are. Yeah. And just what say they what they be. really want. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's scary to admit that you want something and then, you know, I think it's, it's always I, having been someone who always was hanging out with a lot of guys who were like into comedy and didn't, didn't really necessarily seem to hesitate as much yeah. with that. I felt a little bit like, Oh, well, I don't want to say that I like this 
too, or I want to do this too, because what if they sort of think I'm not that good right. or something like that? Um, but yeah, it's funny because I think back to being in class and I would just look at the performer page and just always be like, oh, just when I get on this page, like, uh-huh. then I'll have made it. Yeah. And then you get on the page and then it's like, oh, okay, now I have other things that qualify me to have made it yeah. or whatever. That's been my experience of like every time you get the thing that you think is mm-hmm. going to make you feel like you made it, you don't you feel, don't feel that way at all. all. Right. And that's actually been sort of what's made me like try to do comedy a little bit less aggressively because mm-hmm. I kind of, I don't know, I, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm really thinking about like, okay, what do I actually want and why do I really want this? Yeah. You know, because it's otherwise if I you know, really go for something and then find that feeling again of just like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied with this. And I need to do something else now. Like I, I, it kind of scares me to just always be feeling that way. Whereas like teaching, I usually feel really great about it, Yeah, you know, and I feel like I'm doing something important. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the pleasures of getting older. I'm finding Mm -hmm. is asking yourself exactly that question. I like, I haven't, I don't know that I have like a sense of like my mortality yet. I mm-hmm. like, I know that it's there after I hit 30 yeah. that, you know, 30 felt like a very tangible it real did. number. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that that's coming, but I still feel healthy enough that like, I don't really take it too seriously, right. but I definitely have a sense of like, there's only so many hours in the day mm-hmm. and there is only so much time before I'm an embarrassing old man in a room full of people who are really good at what they're doing. Yeah. And you do have to kind of ask yourself the tough questions of like, what do I really think? Mm-hmm. Not just who am I trying to impress or it, like that process yeah. of sorting out other people's opinions from your own opinions and other right. people's uh, like ideals for you <clears throat> from your own ideals. It, it's actually like getting to kind of know yourself a little bit and, and, and having to like make decisions and see like pull triggers on stuff I'm mm-hmm. finding is actually a surprisingly fun part of being in my thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have started feeling more like more mortal in the past few years. I yeah. feel like, uh, just like I started getting a lot more heartburn and that just started making me feel like I'm an adult now and yeah. I need, like there's not that much more time left or something. Um, and I, I talked to my friend about this, my friend Dan, we would talk about how like, when we were in our early twenties, everyone would always say life goes so fast and we'd be like, it doesn't feel like it. Like yeah. feels like we have tons of time. And then now all of a sudden we feel that way. Yeah. Like it, something did click and yeah. it does feel like, Oh my God, I'm already, you know, I'm 32. What's, you know, yeah. this is going to just keep speeding up. And yeah. before I know it, yeah, for me, it's the feeling of like, oh, I'm already in my story. I'm not waiting for the story. Exactly. To start. It's yeah. Already, I'm, I'm not waiting to grow up. Yeah. Like I'm grown up. Yeah. It's already <laughs> happened, which is like, it, I, I alternate between crippling anxiety mm-hmm. and, and kind of like a cool sense of freedom when it comes to that. Because yeah. then it's like, well, then it's all based on my choices for things. Not necessarily like I'm going to make a choice and then I'm going to go be the most successful person in the world. But right. it's like, I have to wake up today and make a decision. I got to mm-hmm. do something. Um, most of the time I don't do anything. Most of the time <laughs> I sit and I daydream about stuff to do. But there is kind of like, I don't know, it's an interesting thing to realize that you're not waiting anymore for the invitation. Right. It's it, like it or not, it, you know, it's your life and it's already happening and you got to kind of um, 
like the river may be flowing at its own speed, but you got to kind of uh, uh, like man the oars a little bit and yeah. like navigate the direction you want to be going in. Right. What is it about teaching? Have, have you always felt that way about teaching? What, for, first off, what do you teach and how long um, have you been doing it? Okay, so I just I teach fifth grade currently. Um, I'm an English as a second language um, specialist or something, I guess you could say. And I've, I just finished my eighth year of teaching. So I would say... I know I've not always felt that way. I mean, I always, I was, um, I would say like since high school, maybe I was someone who wanted to, you know, make a difference in some way. And I, you know, kind of played around with a lot of different ways of doing that. Like I went to, um, grad school for women's studies and was thinking about, you know, pursuing a career in academia and teaching women's studies. And it it did feel like important when I was doing it at the time, because it was like, I was, reaching like freshman college football players would come in and take my women's studies class. So if I felt like I could like change their views on various different topics, like I felt like I was making a difference, but then I kind of got to the point with that where it started feeling a little bit like what I was doing was so far removed from actually impacting anybody. Like I was writing papers on like Moulin Rouge and Mm. it was like really fun but um, no one was really reading them except for other academics and things like that Mm. so then and I also really wanted to move to New York and I didn't think that that was gonna work because it's just such a competitive field Um, so then anyway so then I applied to be a teacher here um, because I think it was a little bit of not really knowing what else I would do and I always loved school Mm. and um so I more than ever do really feel like I'm making a difference. And it's, it's, it's in a way that like, okay, I'm working with students who live in a low-income neighborhood and, and have um, language proficiency issues that they're working on. And I'm like really impacting their lives day to day. So that feels really good. Um, but I, it definitely took me a long time to kind of get here because I feel like in the beginning of teaching, it was so awful and hard that I felt like I was actually doing them a disservice yeah. because I just really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I think this is the first year in the, um, this past year I just finished that I really enjoyed my job and felt good about it because I felt like I sort of was getting it. What was the adjustment that happened to go from feeling like you're, you, you don't get it to feeling like, like you get it. Yeah. Um, I think just, that's a good question. I, I think I actually did have kind of a moment where, I was always someone who was good at school and um, teaching I wasn't really that good at. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was like I was kind of going up against um, this feeling of like, I can do anything. I'm really good at this, whatever, but like not actually being that good at it. Mm -hmm. So finally, and I would get really like defensive and kind of um, would always be asking for more opportunities and kind of was a little bit arrogant, I Mm -hmm. think, in my job. So I think there was like a moment where I sort of decided this isn't really helping me. I'm not showing anyone that I know what I'm doing by constantly telling everyone I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in essence, I don't. I think it was coming from a place of like I was sort of insecure that I was doing such a shitty job. So I would just be like, you know, I'm really good at this, whatever. Yeah. So having that moment of like, all right, I'm going to sort of change the way I approach this 
Um, and that I think really did happen before this last school year where I was like, I'm just going to quietly try and do my job the best I can and really seek out, um, other people's help and sort of other people's feedback. And I I started working with another teacher and we were teaching together. So watching her, like I learned so, so much from watching her too. And it just sort of made me realize how much I really didn't know. Um, and just to be a little bit more honest about that rather than trying to hide it and feel like I had to show off or something. Yeah. That reminds me of like the Zen parable of the empty (laughs) cup. Okay. I I don't remember the exact parable, but the basic idea is a guy goes to, uh, uh, to a monk to Mm -hmm. ask for illumination. And so the monk offers him a cup of tea. Okay. And uh, the monk is pouring his tea into the into the guy's cup, and the guy is just talking about you know everything that he studied about illumination and all of his understanding of all this and all stuff. And as he keeps on talking more and more to the monk, the monk just keeps on pouring tea, and the tea is overfilling and like burning his legs and whatnot. And he freaks out, and he says to the monk, "What the hell are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I don't remember how it ends, but the basic <laughs> gist of it was, you can't make room for tea in the cup if there's already tea in the cup. If you're already over brimming with this stuff there's no point in adding anything extra right. to it you have to begin with that emptiness you have to begin with that like humility you know yeah it's a super courageous thing to admit to, okay. to let go of of and this is something that ties into improv really well to let go of that need to be knowledgeable and good right. and to that need to have a place there you know what i mean yeah sometimes there's like a really big barrier in terms of actually getting your job done or doing it well mm-hmm it's really true. Yeah, I think just, I think that is something too that comes with age, like yeah. feeling like, you know, it, you have to be confident in order to admit what you don't know. Totally. And I think about this a lot too with just, um, I don't know, like thinking a lot about my parents and just other older people who I know and watching them. And I like to really analyze why people act certain ways. Yeah. And I think a lot of, um, I just really don't want to be someone who is kind of like not willing to admit when they're wrong and not confident enough to say what they don't know. Yeah. So I think that's something I try to work on yeah. as a person. Joe Bill uh, said that there are three types of people in any given improv class. Mm-hmm. I'm, t- I'm horribly misquoting him. I apologize. Okay. All, but but <laughs> the basic gist is there are there are givers, takers, and provers, and mm-hmm. you can kind of be aware of you know those people. And uh, um, like I really like that classification of people and that notion that like it's really hard to teach provers. Yeah. Because they're constantly just taking every single thing that is being offered and then trying to demonstrate how proficient they already mm-hmm. are. And and that need to like prove your worth to everybody actually gets in the way of being able to give what you really do genuinely mm-hmm. have to offer. Right. Um, I catch myself doing that constantly. Yeah. And it always comes from that like uncertain place of feeling like well, I know an this imposter too. Or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or or some sort of like status thing where like I have to I have to just like assert to everybody that like I've made my bones and I've earned my right to be in the room here. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting uh, saying that you were you've always been good at school. I've never heard anybody <laughs> say it like that before, but that's really I know as I was saying it, I was like, this is. If Rick was here, he would make fun of me. Rick would be wrong in that. That's, I think, like a really apt... I I think you, like, evoked it really well. You're somebody who has been good at school. Yeah, it was not... I liked school, and it wasn't hard for me. There were other things I sucked at, but school was fun. Yeah. I'm curious. I was not good at at school. Really? That's surprising to me. uh, I, I, I... 
for, for me, like when adolescence hit, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that like, oh, if I'm a kind of a goofball, I get a lot of approval from people okay. and girls are interested in me. Yeah. That was it. Then school just became the enemy for me. Right. It, it was just a big, a big waste like of joke. my time. Yeah, yeah. School for me, by the time I hit like junior high school became like the straight man. That, okay. I, that I played against. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, um, and that was like basically my attitude until college. Okay. What I just, I'm curious, like the, uh, uh, well, tell me about that. Tell okay. me about being good at school. Yeah. I mean, I think I had a little bit of that going on, um, but I kind of did the, the joking in a way that was like safe enough. Like yeah. I, I, I had a, like a more like a rapport with teachers and yeah. things like that. Um, I was like the oldest, I'm the oldest child in my family. And I feel like my parents were, you know, my mom, you know, once like argued with someone to get me into gifted or something. So there was like this vibe of feeling like I was smart because my parents made me feel like I was smart Mm. and you know, I like did okay at school. So I just, I, I feel like that was kind of like my thing, you know, that I invest a lot of time in and, um, it was just fun. I think as I got older, when science and science especially got harder, I really hated science. So that was something I immediately was like, I'm not good at that. Yeah. But then I just like stayed away from it. Um, and yeah, high school though, it was a little bit more like what you're saying with the goofing off a bit, but I don't know. I just, it sort of came easy to me and I really liked reading and writing and that was like the big part of being there, yeah. you know? For me, it wasn't even like goofing so much as like aggressively looking for opportunities to not take seriously okay. what I felt like I was being force fed by people. Gotcha. There, there was like, I think I had a, a pretty strong chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like a pretty strong, like it, I was a little bit of an asshole. Right. It, um, I, I kind of felt like a teacher had to like prove themselves to me. And like, if somebody seemed like they were genuinely good at teaching or genuinely yeah. passionate about teaching, regardless of the subject, then I would behave and listen right. to them. But if I smelled like like anything that seemed like insincere or seemed like you're just kind of doing your job or just going by the syllabus, I mm-hmm. it, it was it like clicked on this really aggressive thing in my mind okay. to just like forcefully not take things seriously. I think you were maybe just like a bit ahead of me with that. Cause yeah. I, I was like in high school still, I felt very like drinking the Kool-Aid of education. and was just like, teachers are experts. I'm going to listen to whatever they yeah. tell me. I definitely think in college I got to be more like that of feeling like, Oh, you know what? Like not every teacher really knows what they're doing yeah. and really connecting with certain types of teachers and seeking them out more. Yeah. But yeah, I could see how that could be almost like dangerous if you realize that in high school because it's like you have to go. Yeah. So you're just there all day thinking that people kind of suck and don't know what they're doing. But I did have some really good teachers too. I had a really amazing English teacher who, um, you know, I just learned so much from her and I feel like she is, you know, made me such a better writer and reader and stuff. So I feel like that was helpful. Yeah. But. Almost all of my good experiences were with English teachers, too. Yeah. I just love English. Yeah. It was always, like, English and uh, uh, drama were the two things that I would look forward to. Yeah, me too. To going to. And then I had one math teacher. I was always fucking terrible at math. Okay. But I had one math teacher in high school who um, I appreciated just because he, he... 
he knew what he was doing. Right. I, I can't like articulate it. He was just like, he knew what he was doing. It, there was no bullshit from him. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, and it felt like he gave a shit. Do you think like know what he was doing in terms of math or in terms of teaching or teaching. both? Yeah. Teaching. He like, That's he, so he huge. would check in to see if you were getting things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you can, I see that a lot with science and math teachers that like just the knowledge of math and science is enough to like get people a job sometimes where it's yeah. like, I really understand biology, but it's not just knowledge of the content. Like you have to be able to relay it to yeah. other people and like be able to check in and yeah. that kind of thing. That's kind of what I've learned myself as a teacher, just feeling like, Oh, I get this. I'm good at school. Like I know how to read and write whatever, but actually teaching kids is so hard yeah. and it's so much different than just like knowing it. Yeah. How is your, how is your posture towards the kids changed in eight years? Um, I think I've gotten, a little bit less chilled out. Like I sort of started, I mean, the first year was miserable, right? And I had, I actually had two sort of first years. Like I had a first year in general and then a first year at this current school I'm Mm -hmm. at, which was like three or four years later. Um, And I was really, really stressed. So those were kind of just like, I don't even think they really, I mean, it's sort of just common, like first year teaching. You're just, you don't know what you're doing at all. But then I had like a sort of persona that, I, I'm, if you see me teach, you'll, you would probably think like, okay, you kind of talk to kids like you talk to anybody. So I think that's something I really liked and try to do. Like, I don't want to talk down to children, mm-hmm. but there's also, you can't do it as much as maybe I did when I first started. Like, yeah. There has to be like some boundaries and yeah. they have to feel like there's more, there's structure and discipline and, um, I'm not going to like let things go. Yeah. Whereas before I just, if I, if I didn't personally care about, you know, like, Oh, I need to go to the bathroom or whatever. Like I just go. Yeah. But that it it would eventually like lead to larger problems if I wasn't more strict, which doesn't come natural to me. Yeah. That that's really interesting. Why is that? Is it because, I mean, I imagine there's a real art to controlling a room, just status wise, being able to, to lower your status and raise your status and and just let people know that you're in control because you're so relaxed and confident and know your business. It's really true. Cause I've definitely gone the opposite way too, of like trying to control through like yelling and, um, just kind of being mean. Yeah. So, and that is actually probably less effective than, you know, being too chill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like this this really fine balance of you want kids to like you and trust you. And, and you know, I also like, I want to make kids laugh. Like yeah. I love doing that too. And I think it makes school like a lot more fun for them. But there also has to be like a moment of like, okay, now we have to get down to business. Um, and you just have to find this perfect balance of that. Otherwise, when it's time to get down to business, they don't want to and they don't feel like they have to because you know, who are you to tell them? Yeah. It's interesting. I'm thinking now of two teachers very specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and one of them was like a real mean spirited pain in the ass mm-hmm. and, and just used like disciplinary and tactics for everything. It was constantly calling your house and constantly getting you in trouble and constantly had a short fuse. And, uh, the other one was the nicest guy in the world. He was an economics teacher I had in high school and it's the nicest guy in the world, really sweet guy. But like, everybody just like horribly walked all over this dude. And like thinking about it now, I like the message that we picked up from both of them was that we're in control. Exactly. 
Yeah. You're not really owning the situation. Right. You're the boss here. Because if you have to tell my parents, then that means that I don't really need to listen to you. Yeah. Like, it's like you're below my parents. Yeah. Like, we don't really, I don't really call parents very much unless it's like something that, you know, it's so serious that the school like needs us to contact them or something. Right, but yeah. otherwise, it's when you're in the room with me, I'm in charge and like anything that happens in here um, is kind of on me. Yeah. So. Well, that ability too to like check into the room and, and I mean, it's, it's like total improv. It's the exact same idea. Yeah. You check in with what's really going on and you adjust yourself to what's really going on. And mm-hmm. if you need to loosen up, you loosen up. And if you need to tighten up, you tighten up. And that's ultimately what gives you the authority. It's not that you have the credentials. It's that right. you're the one who's aware of and in flow with what's actually happening right here and right now Mm -hmm. in both of those cases, like the guy who let himself be walked all over and, and, and the woman who was just a real pain in the ass, Mm -hmm. like neither of them felt particularly checked into the other people in the room. Right. It it was almost like they were dealing with the abstraction of the job of teaching or the abstraction Mm -hmm. of a classroom instead of like actual individual human beings that they're relating to. There's such a, like a social intelligence that's required for both of them. And I feel like that's something that, people take for granted and don't necessarily think about with teaching, but just the, you know, seeing someone and recognizing when they're not really paying attention to you or like not interested and, um, and just, you know, responding to that, like you're saying is something that is so huge. And if if you don't have that ability, it's just going to be so much harder for you to actually, you know, teach and have, see results in your students. Yeah. Or if you have that ability, but you're too afraid to call it out. Mm-hmm. I, I was so impressed one time when I was in, in I did a workshop with Jean Villapique okay. years ago. And uh, um, she was in the middle of, of explaining something. And there was a guy in the class who's kind of sitting there. And he just begins sort of like looking off and like shaking his head. And she stopped the class and was like, excuse me, is there a problem here between us? Mm-hmm. Is there something you'd care to share with the class? Because wow. if there's not... I'd appreciate it if you look at me right now and stop shaking your head. And I was like so taken by that because like I would notice exactly that. I have people in my classes Mm -hmm. who do that and I notice it, but I don't call it out. And uh, um, uh, usually for me, it's just a thing of like, well, you're all grownups and this is your time and your money. So if you want to waste it by being an idiot, that's your business. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to teach you how to, how to be attentive. Yeah. But then the other half of me is like, uh, but like it takes like real courage and sharpness to yeah. like make that move and actually like okay I'm in control right you have to listen to me right now here are the boundaries of this class yeah yeah I imagine when you are working with adults like the few times I've coached um, and then back when I I did teach like intro women's studies in in um, at Ohio State and having a, like adults it is so weird because it's like like you're saying like you there is that feeling of just like well, you know, it's your choice to just kind of, you know, be on your phone or whatever. Yeah. But it does, then it sort of undermines the rest of what's happening. And, yeah. um, fortunately with, you know, kids, it's, it's a little bit different cause they can kind of have to listen to me, but, um, but certainly you can make the choice to see a kid or a couple kids in the back who are not with you and to let it go. Yeah. And if you do let it go, it compromises everything that's going to happen in your room from that point forward. Um, because, you know, other kids are not going to want to stay with it and you've just kind of lost them and shown them that like, that's okay. And then, you know, they're just not going to get as much out of it. It's interesting. You have to kind of 
have a real intelligence when it comes to psychology and like mm-hmm. animal behavior. You got to be able to read animal cues yeah, and sort of like sense just like the social dynamic of a room and, right. and how to play it. Mm-hmm. Do you and Nick Canellis go to the zoo all the time and just watch <laughs> animals and study their Those behavior? Those are a great segue. <laughs> um, we, we don't, I'm not really into the zoo. Mm. I don't think we've ever actually gone together, but he goes, he's been there a bunch of times. Yeah. Obviously he's been to the Bronx zoo a couple times. Um, yeah, he's really, really super into animals yeah. and animal behavior. And it shows. It does. <laughs> um, I want to go back for a sec. Something you had said earlier about, like, when you had first started improvising, mm-hmm. feeling like, um, like you can't really take ownership or call yourself a comedian or call yourself a writer because you're surrounded by all these guys who, who Had, are. like, so quickly identified. Yeah. Yeah, there was no doubt or whatever. Yeah. It, um, what's the experience like for you, uh, being part of a community like that, that's still majority guy energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what the, what the proportion is, but the ratio still favors guys to girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially noticeable on Thursdays too. Now that, cause like that, coming that, yeah. from a megawatt, you know, it, it did feel like there was more and more women, but now yeah. it's like, okay. Rebecca Megan or yeah Rebecca Rebecca, Megan and I but I guess you know there's the director series and things too that but those are always sort of fluctuating um I definitely think that that has influenced me I I mean starting out at the magnet part of what was so appealing was the fact that there was like Tara and and then I took level two with Rachel Hamilton so that was kind of exciting to me like oh I want to I kind of want to take a class from a woman because Coming from um, my friends in Penn State, I was always like one of like a few girls who was kind of like hanging out with this group of comedy guys. Mm -hmm. And they were all the ones who like wrote for the comedy magazine and wrote for the sketch fest and things like that. And I was a little bit too scared to even do that. Um, So at the Magnet then, I feel like that was lingering a bit. And then... Um, it was great to be put on brick and have be with two performers, Fiona um, Bradford and Amy Rowe, who were not like they were so confident in their craft. Mm. So that helped me, I think, become more like, OK, this is legitimate. Like Amy had been improvising for so long and was a teacher at Philly and whatever. And Fiona just kind of seemed like unfazed by that. Yeah. Um, but I think the moments that have felt really, really great for me in terms of that have been like the opportunity to do like lots of all women shows. And, and especially when we might just kiss is really, really awesome. Um, because you like see how many women there really are in the community Mm -hmm. and what really happens when they feel like that sense of ownership and purpose, like that this is, you know, just as, like I can do this mm-hmm. and I don't need to be worrying about um what the guys think or what you know what other people think. Um yeah, and also the stank and sad kids and everything. I think it's just like a matter of I've gotten into arguments with um Rick about this. <laughs> uh just that there's a feeling that when like we had like an argument one time after a brick or before a brick show because I was the only girl there that night. And like Amy, it might have been Caitlin Steitzer by this point. So Amy and Caitlin were both not there. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I just like don't love it when I'm the only girl here. 
And he was like, why do you feel that way? Why would you think that? We've been performing together for like three years and, you know, how would that affect you? That's a really good Rick impression when you right? share with him, this is what I feel. And he's immediately, yeah. why would you feel that why way? Why would you feel What's that way? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you asshole. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I guess he's going to be like, why did you share this story? Um, but, but it really hit me because I, I think it just, it's really, really hard to explain to people too. Um, just this feeling of like, and, and again, this might not be like in totally the reality, mm-hmm. but just the feeling of like, I might put something out there that you're not going to get yeah. just because, and I, I don't want to like essentialize all female experiences being the same thing, but there is something there of that, like a certain perspective that maybe isn't always, um, given the space. Yeah. So I think when, and it's, and I can tell because of, of times when I'll play like with the stank or with We Might Just Kiss, where it just feels like this sense of freedom of just, like, anything I put out there is just so picked up and jumped on and expanded, and it feels like the space is, like, mine in this way that doesn't always happen when you're playing with predominantly guys. And and I I don't think it's, like, anyone's fault, but it's just sort of a reality. So that's something that The Magnet is so awesome about is just, like, having more spaces for women to kind of connect and and do stuff that they care about i think um i think it's important to because i I got into this argument with somebody very recently too Mm -hmm. where they were like why do there have to be all anybody shows right exactly mix um which like yeah it's a fair point I, i understand the point but i think it's also like Exactly what you're saying. There are just certain experiences mm-hmm. that will be amplified and explored in different directions when you're among people who live those experiences yeah. with you. And I think that it's like equally important across the board to like alternate between diversifying casts, mm-hmm. but also like playing with people who share your experiences, mm-hmm. sexual experiences, cultural experiences. Uh, uh, and like explore what you really know because for as much as you can say that diversity for cast is important, mm-hmm. I have noticed that there's an interesting disconnect that happens between what we teach and what we actually do when we get on stage. Mm-hmm. For me, my like predominant point of view teaching classes, especially upper level classes is exploring group mind together. Mm-hmm. Um, And part of that means we're all coming together as this collective and we're all opening up our minds and opening up our experiences and putting it all into the pot together and, and really taking the chance to kind of live in each other's shoes and Mm -hmm. play with each other's ideas and, and kind of enhance our collective intelligence and our collective understanding of each other, that it really Mm -hmm. is an opportunity to kind of stretch our, 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 our knowledge of other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. When you get on stage, though, the number one priority is make this into something that's going to be funny. Right. And so when you do kind of pull something from real life that maybe that can be explored a little bit, maybe we can like get into like holding up a window into an experience that people don't always get to see normally, mm-hmm. um, that thing is glommed onto immediately for the purposes of producing comedy content. It's just mm-hmm. the kind of like, it's what happens. It's the right. name of the game because now you're performing in front of a paying audience who want to be entertained. Right. Online. But that, for that reason, I think it's important to periodically at least have like specialty shows. Yeah. It, you know, and, and 
I think I would put that across the board for right. everybody, including all guy shows too. Mm-hmm. Even that's a weird thing to say because you're normally not going to see a lot of like exploring guy issues with guy shows. Mm-hmm. Mostly when you put a bunch of guys together, it's that kind of like, I think of it as the Yang energy, mm-hmm. you know, but having ownership of like people with a common voice and common body of experiences and feeling like that's protected and respected, it can only, in my mind, enhance mm-hmm. what everybody has to bring now when you're in a more diversified cast. Right. Sorry, that was a ramble thing. No, I think you've sort of boiled it down very nicely. Um, yeah, I really agree with you on, on all of those things. I just... I think that's it. That's Do you... Um, <laughs> Um, I, I like, I try to avoid the question cause like you do a great show with Beth Newell, uh-huh. um, sad kids, you two of the funniest, funniest people around. Thanks. Um, and I want to talk about sad kids in a second. Okay. Um, I, I normally like try to avoid the question of like the difference between playing with an all woman show versus okay. a, a mixed show only because to me it, it, it's like, I worry that like, well, I never ask any guys who play an all guy show. What's it like to right. play an all guy show? But I guess I'm going to just go ahead and ask the question. What is the difference for you when you get to play with Beth or when you get to do the stink or we might just kiss? Yeah. Like, I guess do you feel it, a different part of your brain operating or, or I, I don't know. I don't even know specifically what I'm yeah, asking. Yeah. I don't know if it's like. It's hard to boil down like physically how it feels, but it's just like something about it feels like whatever I say is going to be um, just like embraced yeah. in this way that you don't necessarily, I don't necessarily feel when um, I play with a show where I'm one of, you know, two women in the cast. Yeah. So, and with, with Beth, it's like its, it's own thing just because she has this way of taking anything I say and just making it into the funniest game ever. Like, I don't know how she does it, but I just love playing with her because it feels like I can just be kind of wacky in this way that maybe in other shows I don't feel as, like, I get to do that as much. Yeah. Um, But, and, and same with the stank, it's like, all of the improvisers on that team are pretty seasoned and everything. So you don't, it's not like I'm playing with... Um, I think the the feeling of everyone being really strong and just positive and not judgy mm-hmm. is really really awesome. And I don't know. And I, again, I don't think guys that I've who I play with, and I certainly don't want to say anything negative about any of the men on Brick or JV or anything. But just there's just something there of just like they just maybe don't necessarily get it or know exactly what I'm saying Mm. or get the reference Mm. or understand the experience. Or maybe it is something a little bit with myself holding back a bit and just feeling like sometimes it does feel like people might view you as like a token and Mm. and feel like, Oh, well she's the woman on the team. What is she's, she better be good. Like, Do do you feel that extra sense of pressure? I do feel like that sometimes, especially if I'm, if I am the only one there. Yeah. And, and it can inhibit how I play, mm. like feeling like, oh man, I'm like representing female kind right now with being the only woman on this team or like one of the only women on this night. Like it feels this, feels like something intense. Whereas like the stank, it's like, oh, I just can do whatever I want here. Yeah. Um, 
and same with playing with Beth. And yeah. and we might just kiss. It's like just okay. My whole goal is to just make sure everybody feels really comfortable and is having a good time. Yeah. And that can open yourself up to like playing in a different way. So I don't. I, I just don't think as much. And I just, as a result, feel like I'm so much better. Yeah. And I can be like more like parts or play different roles or do different things that I might not normally do. Well, that's such a huge difference between feeling like you are the token woman on a team who has to represent. Yeah, right. There's like a freedom there that is really. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the longer I improvise and the more sort of like feel like the more I feel like, okay, I'm, you know, an important member of this community and I have like credit and it's not like one show's going to like, um, blow people's opinions of me or something. Um, the more that that happens, the less it is an issue, but still like, there's just that feeling of like, who are these strangers in here? If there are people who aren't from the community, you know, at your shows and things like that, they're, they're, they're bringing in, you know, prejudices and things like that, that, that do influence the way that I play. Yeah. It, to me, it goes back to that idea of like giving and proving. Yeah. Like you're in a state of mind when you feel that pressure that, I mean, exactly what you said about, we might just kiss. Right. That your job is to, is to, how do how do I, how do I get the people around me to have fun and Mm -hmm. relax? And you're in a really giving state when your focus is just on having, making sure that the people around you are having a good time tonight, Mm -hmm. you know? That's super giving, and then you're out of the way. You're not. You're not the focus of the show. Mm-hmm. But when you feel like you're the focus of the show, all eyes are on you, and you have to prove it somehow. Mm-hmm. You, you do become sort of your worst. Self yeah, at, at you times. get you get in your own way. Yeah, right. And, right. And, and you're also bringing up those prejudices as well, because that's the kind of unspoken thing that you're carrying around with you on mm-hmm. stage. Is you're you're grappling with these things while you're trying to be really free and uninhibited. Mm-hmm. To me, two things come to mind. Uh, um, one is like just the thing of like familiarity with like what you know and, and the life that you've lived. I experience that sometimes when I play with Charlie Whitcroft, mm-hmm. just because we've known each other for our whole damn lives. And mm-hmm. so, if I mention a name in a show, he knows that it's not a random name. He it's knows exactly who I'm referencing, yeah. and he knows everything that I mean about that person. Mm-hmm. And it's that feeling of like. Oh, when we're playing together, I can do very, very little because he's going to pick up and extract everything that I mean mm-hmm. from that very little. And it, it, it feels so freeing mm-hmm. when you're not trying to like build the ship at the same time as you're right. sailing it down the river, mm-hmm. you know? Um, um, the other thing that it brings to my mind too is like, even though people don't mean to like step on ideas or take anything away from you, like I, I, I think of it in terms of like, yin and yang energy to mm-hmm. shows and yin and yang energy to performers and and like those two energies are characterized yin yin energy tends to be more of uh, an all-embracing finding the the sense of you and i in the scene finding the sense of we and us you mm-hmm. know what i mean it tends to be embracing of relationships it tends to be about exploring uh, 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 what affects the two of us together. Mm-hmm. The yang energy tends to be more divisive. It tends to be more about what's weird about this and mm-hmm. how do we kind of aggressively make more of that weird thing. And oftentimes it's an energy that expresses itself in a desire to just get to the fucking funny thing right now and not waste time and dick around. Right. It, it, it And you tend to see yang energy more among guys when they cluster together than not. 
It's mm-hmm. just like the general tendency of it. And it's something that I also find like I react to because I'm a yin player most yeah. of the time. And it, it suppresses access to my own life experiences when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. I find that when there's a lot of yang energy on stage, uh, it oftentimes doesn't lead to me having a good time. It leads to me blocking out things that I think people are going to find right. lame or not funny. And right. so I find myself doing the same shit I've done before that gets a laugh. Mm-hmm. And you get that like stiff feeling again of like, oh, what's the fucking point? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I definitely have experienced that. Like it feels like almost it becomes more surface level and yep. you're not actually you're just like inventing something that's funny or you're playing like the the game like in this very predictable way and like it doesn't feel authentic yeah. or grounded I yeah. guess. Rather than so. like stuff that's really in your mind. Yeah. Like I've been aging has been coming up in a lot of my shows recently and mm-hmm. hopefully that will stop soon because <laughs> I don't want to just like drag my whole life onto stage. Yeah. But I like those shows where I like I get to like explore the things that are actually my experience. Yeah, me too. I feel like I'm so much better when I'm playing from like you know, like I some of my favorite scenes I've ever done have been scenes where I'm like picturing my living room or yeah, like picturing yes. yep. like the front porch of or like re- like really playing a person I know kind yeah. of. And because it feels like there's endless amounts of material, but also endless possibilities to kind of mold it and make it more. And it just feels so real. Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. There's something to that. When you, like, I've noticed a huge difference in my scenes when I make the choice to give myself objects that are real objects from real life and not just a cup. Right. And even if, like, nobody else knows what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, having that in the back of my imagination mm-hmm. makes the scene feel like a completely different thing. Right. There's a freedom that I feel that I don't feel when it's just like the comedy machine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I just keep thinking about this scene that I did yesterday with Sean Wickens in rehearsal and it was like, we were like working on a monster truck and it was just so difficult for me yeah. like to not do what we're talking about. Cause I just was like, all right. I just kept thinking about how much I didn't, know what I was talking about which like obviously that's you can do scenes like that you know where you're in a totally different unfamiliar place and make them really good by just owning and making up what you don't know yeah but it's hard sometimes and you can get lost in that feeling of like oh my god I just I don't know I can't even picture where we are yeah and you become tight too you you, get tight right and it's and and it 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 goes back to that thing of teaching again. Mm-hmm. When you're tight, you can't be responsive to the actual people in the room right. with you and and make those adjustments because you're tight. That's what made my horrible seventh grade teacher so horrible. Is she was just fucking tight all the time. Yeah. And so like she had no patience or tolerance for anything. Her first recall was to just scream at you. Yeah. Which interestingly enough is a lot of people's first recall in scenes when yeah. they're tight is to just <laughs> scream about shit right. and be angry. Yeah. You become unresponsive to things. Mm-hmm. I just start creating like a whole story yeah. that isn't really, I just will talk. Yeah. And that feels, and it just doesn't, it feels phony and it doesn't feel like it's coming from any sort of real place. It's like all cerebral, like, 
making up a narrative of what might sound good. I did exactly what you're describing in a show last night, and I felt, oh, yeah? I felt like garbage <laughs> about it. Exactly, I spent yeah. the entire show just stressing over what I didn't know and how stupid I am, mm-hmm. and how you know, like, right, and it, trying to fix it and mm-hmm. trying to make it work meant that I was just like talking up a storm and meaning none of it. Yeah, none of it. It was all just me trying to be funny on my feet, and it right. fucking sucked. It's really, yeah. And you just feel slimy afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's an interesting, like, I keep on coming back to this thing. And it's like right there at the beginning of improv history, too. It's like what we're facing now is no different than what they were facing in 1955 in a back room in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I'm really taken with with the original idea behind doing an improvised theater company. The idea being that it's, it's theater for the people who are watching it and the people who are making it are the same people. Mm-hmm. And so it's the opportunity to show each other what we know and who mm-hmm. we are. And, and, and instead of waiting for other people to write stuff or to take, to take what in that day was like higher class people's values and make that like what theater is about. And it's all like drawing room shit or whatever. Mm -hmm. The stuff of your own real life ends up being, this is what's dramatically interesting. We want to see each other and get to know each other. Like I'm really taken with that idea. And it's Mm -hmm. always in the back of my mind of like, that's the goal. That's the ambition. That's what we should be doing. But then right along with that, right from the beginning with, with that group was, but we also got to make comedy too. Right. And, and so there is like frequently that thing of, for me, it's like trying to find that balance between not taking myself too seriously, but also wanting to say what I want to say and wanting to explore what I want to explore with people who are willing to go with me Mm -hmm. rather than just engineering more comedy again tonight right? and proving again tonight that I'm qualified to create more comedy out of this idea. There's just something to me that, that like, it's exhausting after a while. Yeah. You get to a point where it's like, I know I can do that. I've done it enough times that I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. Do I really need to keep on? Is that all doing a show is? Is just... Showing that you can yeah. do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also like this balance of, of sort of what you're saying of like showing that you can do it and I mean like using, being confident but also putting your ego aside, like finding this perfect balance of like I want to say my perspective but um, at the same time like, you know, helping other people say theirs and and knowing when enough is enough. Because I feel like sometimes, you know, it's easy to be the reverse where you kind of hang back and, Mm -hmm. and are maybe like a little bit too nervous to kind of put yourself out there, especially for me now just joining this new team. I've definitely felt that more than ever before, I think, because like we were talking about with brick, it was like, I was one of the first people there too. So I felt like I had more of a claim to it. Yeah. Or, or also going in the direction of being like too serious about it, Mm -hmm. you know, like bringing so much of like my thing, yeah, my thing that mm-hmm. we can't laugh at this. Right. Which, is, like, I had a conversation with a student last week that like it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. She was telling me why she signed up for classes because she's like stiff and wanted to learn public speaking and was afraid of talking to people and realized that getting up in front of people and making fun of herself on a weekly basis might be good for her. And that 
to me, blew my mind. She showed more wisdom about improv than I think I've yeah. ever shown. Not self-deprecatingly making fun of yourself, but realizing that like the best improvisers are not people who get up on stage and like pick other people's weirdness and then you know like assault that weirdness. The best improvisers are the ones who share and give what mm-hmm. they really love and who they really are. But you're totally the butt of that joke. Mm-hmm. You're totally making fun of the shit that you love. Mm-hmm. You're totally making fun of the shit that you're passionate yeah. about. Those are the very best improvisers. Yeah. That's who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Man. I feel like you're there, if not on your way. Yeah, we'll see. Or, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but that's a really... I, I like that. I think about my husband, Nick, because I feel like that is very much something that he does all the time of just like constantly talking about in shows and showing how much he loves Greek mythology and animals and like all these really stupid things and just making fun of himself all the time. And it's so fun to watch. He's the best example of it because it it totally, he he's always creating out of the stuff. You could tell that he genuinely loves it. Yeah. That's why he plays a bear in every (laughs) show because he loves fucking bears. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also just like done with like the highest spirits. Yeah. It's done with this like total like joy, like it's a privilege that you get to indulge yourself in front of a room full of people and the shit that you really love and really care about. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a great thing to watch. Yeah. I gotta ask the question that's on everybody's mind. Oh god. Nick Canellis at home. <laughs> Is he really that cuddly? Yeah, he's so cuddly. I was just saying today how we're moving to a new apartment and we're gonna have air conditioning i'm really excited we're gonna have central air conditioning because i feel like we can just cuddle way more yeah it's just been so hot (laughs) julia hines thank you for talking this has been a pleasure it's been great thank you so much for having me thank you everyone for listening a couple of other thanks thank you to evan ford barden our producer to ed herpsman our executive producer and to grant michael goldberg our engineer a huge thanks to you guys for listening to this podcast if you enjoyed yourself please go to itunes and give us a positive rating or even a nice shout out would be really really lovely if you didn't enjoy the podcast hey that's okay man we're all entitled to our opinion good for you for getting (laughs) to the end of it too thanks so much for listening thank you julia hines bye everyone bye bye Bye. (laughs) you've been listening to the magnet podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.